so as I was studying through uh, our last verses of the book of James this week, I had a story, like not a story, but like an actual event in my life come to mind. It was when I was a, a young teenager. Um, if you know, I have like the, the, like this condition that I cannot help but help. You know, I cannot help but help. And I'll, I mean, I will, I will just like, if I see a, a stranger like trying to shove a dollar bill into the slot and they've got it reversed, I'm going to walk over and help instruct them on how to, and I'm, I might straighten their dollar bill out. I just can't help it. It's going to, it's always been like that. Amber laughs at me. You know, it's a gift and a curse. But one day, I walk out my door, my front yard, and I'm a young teenager, and there's this cowering little, little tiny puppy, and who wouldn't help, right? This is like, this is one of the times, of course, like you would help. You don't, you don't need the gift or curse of helping. You just, you're going to help a little scared puppy. So, so I, I look around, no one's around, and I've never seen this puppy before, and so I take it in, and I bring it inside, and we're caring for it, and we're like, we got to find out whose puppy this is. So we're like riding around the neighborhood looking for signs of whose puppy this is, and we don't see signs. And for a couple, for a few days, we've got this puppy in our house, and we're making it more comfortable. We're, you know, we're actually feeding it. Yes, we were. And we like created a little safe space for it to sleep, and we were snuggling with it and, you know, kind of starting to love it a little bit. And then a few days later, we see a sign up on the way other end of our neighborhood, and it's lost puppy. And I was like, oh, the puppy. So we're really excited, a little sad, but excited. So we, so we go back home. I get my mom, or I think my sister, she, yeah, she was like old enough to drive, so I go grab my sister, and we get in her Cutlass Supreme, it was amazing, it was awesome, like if you hit cruise control, it just accelerated, that's all it did, and so <laughs> it, it was fun when I started driving, I liked it, um, but, uh, but we, so we went and got in her Cutlass Supreme, and, and I'm taking the puppy, and I'm holding it, we're so excited, because we're going to reunite this puppy with its owners, and we go to the door, and like, you know, it's just this anticipation, like I'm about to, you know, have the payoff, like it's just going to be elation, tears, hugs, a thousand dollar reward, I don't know. And like, and so I knock on the door, and I step back, you know, with this look on my face, like, yes, I did this. And then the, you know, I hear the door latch turn, and I hear the doorknob turn, and the, doors op the door opens, and the person in the house looks at me, looks at my sister, looks at the dog, and just has a confused look on their face. And I was like... And then I kind of did the, like, the baboon and Simba thing. and like, dog. And they were like, that's not our dog. And we were like, no, it's your dog. Look, and no, that's not our dog. Okay, so that didn't pay off. So then we go get back in the car. We drive home, pull in the driveway, and we're walking inside the house with the puppy in our arms. And all of a sudden, we hear my neighbor yelling, like, something hysterical. And we're like, oh, my gosh, what's happening? And it turns out she's yelling, our puppy, our puppy. And it turns out that the day I found the puppy was the day they bought the puppy, and their little four-year-old daughter had let the puppy out, and they didn't know it, and we had actually been holding their puppy kidnapped for a few days while they were worried sick. And so we finally reunited. We, we did not tell them that we had the puppy for that long, but it's quite funny. But today, I'll tell you, that story came to mind because today we're looking at the reclaiming of lost things, um, lost and wandering brothers and sisters. I don't typically start with stories, but that, that actually connect. That one seems to connect, and I think it sets us up well. So um, I'm going to read our text today in um, just a moment, but go ahead and open your Bibles to James 5. Uh, we're going to look at 19 and 20 as we finish up James today. It's been a wonderful trek through James, and I say wonderful because it it actually hasn't always been wonderful, but the end has been wonderful. James has been working to help us live out 
this new identity that, that we have in Christ. That's been the whole charge of his letter to the church. G, you know, and that new identity being expressed was the one that was accomplished by Jesus when he accomplished a work in us. And of course, now James is compelling us to not only rest in the redemptive work of Christ, which we love, but to also participate in his redemptive work in this world. And that happens as we live empowered by the Holy Spirit, submitted and committed to his faithful word. And so he's saying, I've done a, Jesus has done a work in you, and now he's given you his will and his way, so now commit your way to this. Remember, it's the, what, was, what was divided is now unified. What was apart is now, is now, is now together. And it's this living of this, this unified, put-together life that Christ achieved. And so that's been, it's just been the message of the entire letter. So here we go. The last two verses, of course you know it's going to matter what he leaves with, so let's, lead, let's read this and then work through it. Let me... Um, Start my timer for you guys. Yeah, I gave myself an extra five minutes. Um, so let's read this. James 5, 19, 19 through 20. It says, My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wondering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Because it's short, let's read it again. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So what we just saw, what we just read, describes the work of reclamation, the work of bringing back, reclaiming. Today, we're going to look at why James closed with this in his letter, why this was the closing of his letter. We're going to look at what reclamation is and, and uh, when we should do it. And then we're going to see uh, who should be doing the work of reclaiming, of reclamation, and then also what is the ultimate purpose of reclamation. Let, let me pray for us before we go any farther. So God, you are so good. Lord, we thank you that you are holy and sovereign. We praise you that you are holy and sovereign. God, Lord, you are, you are worthy of our life, of our worship, of our surrender. Lord, you are, Lord, you, you are, you are strong enough, big enough, loving enough, Lord, to take the most wayward of us, to take the, the worst rebel, and in your grace, bring us back in. And so, Lord, I pray as we, as we look at these last couple of verses of James today and we see this charge that we are actually to be a part of this, Lord, that this would be something that stirs up in us and is, and is just, it's real because we care, Lord, as you've created us to, for the family of God, for your glory and the good of this world. So, Lord, uh, open our hearts and minds now, Lord, speak through me, in spite of me, Lord, and uh, at the end of the day, uh, if you are glorified and your truth is made known, that's what we are pleased with. We confess that nothing good can come this morning without your hand working. Lord, nothing good can come of my words unless you, the Holy Spirit, comes and catches them aflame in our hearts and lives. So we pray that, we plead that, we offer ourselves to you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. So why is this the last thing in James, in this letter from James? Um, Typically, when you look at letters in the New Testament from, from Paul and others, he, you see this kind of typical closing. It's, it's, it's kind of imparting words, like personal words to others, words of thanks, words of traveling plans coming ahead. None of that's here. And that's kind of a very typical form for the time. He, he, he leaves us with kind of one more punch. He's like, I'm not going to waste this opportunity with these little niceties. Like, let me just leave you with something to chew on. And we shouldn't be surprised because if we are familiar with the way James has written the entire time, that's just how he is, it seems like. James 
has not wavered this entire letter in how he has come at the church and how we should live. And he's done it with, with great force, but also great gentleness, presenting it as a part of the gift, as a part of the overflow of the life redeemed in Christ, and as a part of the one who has been claimed for the purpose of Jesus. There are two drums that James has beat this entire letter. Um, and as we look at that, as, as, he, as James taught us about how to persevere in trials, how, how, to, how to manage our money, how to treat others, how to guard our tongue, how to prioritize all of our resources, he's been saying two things. He's been saying, you are completely made new in the work of Christ, as we've already said, and you must personally pursue the living out of that new identity. It's a work accomplished in you now evidence it. That's what James has been saying the entire time. He hasn't pulled a punch yet. He hasn't, he hasn't danced around any topic. He's just come straight at us because he knows it's for our good and he knows it's for the glory of God. And it's the way in which the, the, the glorious message of Jesus Christ is going to be made known in this world. So James has created his concern. He's not going to miss out on this last chance, right? He, he ends with this because this is the key to us as the church to actually live out the lofty vision of life that he's laid out before us. That's why he ends with this. So first, let's look at what redemption is and what redemption, what reclamation is and, and when we should step into that work. So verse 19 says this. It says, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone among you brings him back. This is obviously addressed to the fellowship of believers. My brothers, he's not talking to only men of the community. That's, that's at the time a way of being inclusive of everyone, much like, I was talking to, to Justin this week, it's much like the Spanish language words. When you're, when you're speaking to all, you use the masculine tense. And so at the time, that's, that's all he's saying. So my brothers, this is like my family, my brothers and sisters, all of you. He's speaking to the people of God, to the church, to the fellowship of believers. So the scenario here is that there is someone who is a part of the community, a part of the people of God, the family of God, in a significant way, not just a visitor, not just someone who's kind of on the periphery, but someone who is alongside, who is in it with you, who is, who is striving and working to some degree. You see that it's more than just kind of someone who's observing. This is someone, again, that you say belongs to you, you belong to them. So that's the scenario. We see that this person has now wandered away. They've strayed. For us, for us in our church, in our context, this is obviously the, those who have, who have made this covenant commitment of partnership, saying we are called together in Christ for the gospel mission in this place. And we've committed to, to build each other up and care for one another, to spur each other on and to nurture one another. So obviously we're saying it's that. And again, I encourage you, like if you say that this is your place, then let's, take, let's consider taking that step because it's something real. It's the family of God. But it goes beyond that too in our context because there are those of you who, again, maybe haven't stepped into that commitment but are still, I mean, like, who else is responsible for you and who else are you responsible for? Like, there is that sense that, again, we've committed to be alongside in this and we're actually committing to do something and to spend time and we've got history together. And so that's, that's the person being described. It's also, uh, you know, it's, and so we see that. So does this mean... Um, as we think about this charge to kind of go and reclaim the wonder, because it's not addressed here, does, that, does this mean that we don't care for those who are not amongst us? Of course not. The entire Bible is sending us out to those who are not amongst us. But in order for us to do that well, this must be in place. And I, and I would also submit to you that if you are committed to that way of life, you will actually be 
pushed to this way of life, if you're committed to living a sent life for the gospel where you are living as light in darkness, you will actually have a greater urgency for the need for connection with the body of Christ. So, so obviously we're not saying we're not to care about those on the outside. This is not an exclusive club, right? We are only a part because of the work of Christ and his heart is for, for all those who are outside. So this assumes, what we see here though, is this assumes some relational unity and responsibility. We may not, uh, just thinking about this practically, you know, if that's not in place, like, would you be welcomed to step in? You know, would you be welcome to be that voice of truth and correction if you don't have history? So again, it's also practical. It's not just some, some stipulation. It's very practical, too, if we're thinking about how we are to care for one another, how we're to come alongside one another. And the person that's wondering, we'll see, is the person who's wondering on purpose, right? That They're out. They're moving away from. So we'll see that there actually is a needed work of kind of correction, of steering, of inviting back in. And so... Again, how, how could you do that for someone who's not in with you if you don't have that space in history with? Um, and so, again, this isn't a perk about being a part of a club, but it's a responsibility we have to one another. And so what we've seen for this person that is wondering that was a part, that was a part, not a part, but a part, what we see is that they are now, like I said, stepping away from. They're stepping away from as a pattern or habitual way, a shift in priority, a shift in affection. So they're stepping away from, from the things of God. They're stepping away from the truth of God, the person of God. They're stepping away from the body of Christ as his incarnate people. They're stepping away from, from the fellowship of believers that comes with all its, all its goodness and blessing as well as Kind of it's, it's holding each other's feet to the fire of like, hey, this is something real. This is who we are. Let's do this together. And so it's stepping away from all that. So that's what James is describing here. It's not when someone just has a wrong understanding and says something heretical in your small group because they just don't know. This is not the time to pull this out and say, oh, you're a wayward sister or brother. Let me get you back in. Of course not. Like it's, that's, that's what we're doing. Like we've got to be a safe place for that. We've got to be a place where you can ask questions and be wrong and in God's grace submit our understandings to the truth and walk alongside one another to the truth and have our lives transformed and our understanding transformed. So it's not describing the person who's just lacking in understanding or maturity. That is what we're supposed to do together. So it is the person that kind of as a pattern, as a new, as a way of life, a new trajectory is moving away from all that we have been made in Christ. Reclamation is the work or effort to restore that person that was once a part of the life and the work of the gospel community and is now moving away from the things and people of God as an overall posture. So, so that's that's what it is. That's when we need to step in. It is the work, again, of, of, of proactively pursuing, coming alongside, calling back in. It is done when it is the person who was once apart is now in a whole new kind of way of life moving away from that, a whole new uh, pattern and posture. So that's, what, that's the what and the when of reclamation. Now the question is, who, who should be doing this work of the reclamation, the, the reclaiming of a brother or sister, on, you know, the stepping in on behalf of others? Who? James shows us it's all of us. When he says, my brothers, again, that's like saying my family. My family, that's inclusive. And then he says, if anyone among you, if anyone among you, 
And he's saying this is a general you, so then you need to go and pursue them. So it's everyone. And James has been, he's, he's generally spoken to the church in this way through his entire letter. And just a couple of times has he been specific about a, a specific people or position, like when we're talking about praying for healing. He did say go and gather the elders. And we talked about that um, a week ago. A week ago, right? Last week. Um, but we saw that that was a very specific case of, hey, when someone is unable to come to the body of Christ, at the very least, the elders will go. But then he, even then he extended it, hey, as the entire body of Christ, the entire family of God, we should all be praying and coming on behalf of one another in this way. And so this is the same thing. It's, James has been consistent in this whole letter that, that we are a family, a people called together, a people of one purpose and one belonging. So he's, he extends this to everyone. It's, again, this is, our, this is our understanding of who we are as a church. We, we, don't, um, we, we, we don't look at it as it's just my job to minister to people, right? Or just the elder's job of us to minister to people or just the group leaders. You know, thinking about this is on all of us because we are all co-laborers in Christ, we are all the priests, a part of the priesthood of believers. These are some core convictions for us. We are all brothers and sisters made that way as we were adopted as children of the family of God in Christ. So therefore, we are all family. This is why belonging matters. It is not, you know, I, I grew up in church cultures where faithfulness equaled involvement. Righteousness equaled involvement. You want to, like, I, I had a pastor stand up on Sunday night, looked at the end, because this was a church where we, we did visitation on Tuesday, worship on Wednesday, worship on Sunday morning, and, and, and worship on Sunday night. And to say worship, they were all completely different. It wasn't like we were offering different things so people that had crazy schedules could come. These were all specific worship services. And he stood up there on Sunday night and said, I know that you are all the good Christians because you're here tonight. Like, that's insane. Like, that's just not what, that's not what, the, that's not what we've been called to. That's not what we've been invited into. Involvement does not equal righteousness, but this is why involvement matters. This is why we would say you should prioritize time together. This is why we would say that we, we've got to come together. We, we talk a good bit about gathering and scattering, right? Maybe you've heard that, maybe you haven't. We, we gather together as the body of Christ to do what? To encourage one another, to exhort one another in, in, in God's truth and teaching one another, to equip one another so that, so that when we scatter to our homes and to our jobs and, and to our hobbies and to the ends of the earth, we go out strengthened for the work of the gospel for the work of the kingdom in this world. So on the one hand, it's very strategic, right? It's God's strategy for, again, his, his world domination of love and salvation, right? Like that's what we're a part of. And like, that, that's really it. So this is part of his very strategic work, but there's another very practical reason that we should emphasize the gathered body of Christ. I've often heard people in the church say something to the effect of, you know, why do we need Sunday mornings? We're the church no matter where we are, so I can gather anywhere and be the church, right? I mean, maybe you've heard that. I hear that a lot. Um, maybe they just don't like our, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, that, that, anyway. So uh, if, you, if you come here enough, you know what just happened in my head. Um, but, uh, but, but, Oh, let me totally regain my train of thought instead of just going there. Um, but I've heard people say that. And, and while I could challenge that mindset and say, well, okay, that's fine, but are you actually gathering as the church? 
Otherwise, are you actually gathering together and are you praying for one another? Are you teaching one another? Are you, are you caring for one another? Are you worshiping together? Are you baptizing the, the, those that have come to know Christ together? Are you, are you sharing in the, in the posture of gratefulness and in, in, in sharing this kind of communal experience of, of life and, and, and fellowship? Are you, are you missional? Are you living out the mission of the gospel? Are you spurring, spurring each other to, to that? I could, I could come back with that and that would be legit. But instead, I'll, 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 I'll point us to this, and it's, again, I think it's a bit more attractive and a little less confrontational, even though the other part is a good question to consider if, if that is someone, if you know someone that kind of has that posture about the gathered church and specifically this gathering. Uh, and I would ask you this question, do you agree that you are a person prone to selfishness, selfishness and maybe self-destructive tendencies? Um, maybe it's just to make myself feel better, but I submit that we all are. We all have that. We all have things that we move towards that are just prone to build our, grat- our, our, our gratification in this world or the things that we move towards that are just for our own detriment. We all do that. So you think about why it's important to come together, why it's important to belong, why it's important to, to make that effort, because being together builds trust. How often have you been made privy Made, no, made, made aware, made privy, is that right? Privy? Made aware of a situation. I feel like Elmer Fudd just then, like, just switched the word. But made aware of, of, a, of someone's life, that's, someone that's going through something, whether that you see them kind of moving to something that would be harmful to them or, or you know, something like that. Have you said, well, I don't, I don't who, who am I to go to them? Who am I to say something? Or... How often have you been affiliated with a community like this, and yet people around you have no idea of the areas of your life that are hidden, of the areas of your life that are for your destruction? Like how, I mean, either one, a pretty terrifying reality, right? If, if we're isolated or we don't know others. So, so when a need comes up, who is, who is likely to know? Those who are gathered together. Who are you likely to trust when they come to you as a voice of loving correction, a voice of love calling you back to what is good? The one who knows you? Or the one that you've seen across the room or the one you've never seen before? So it's very practical. So it's one so that you can be a part of caring for others, so you know what's happening, and you can be a part of, again, rescuing each other as from flames. And it's so that you are not out there on your own. So that you're not insulated from someone. Because again, how, if you're already hiding something, if you're keeping something in the dark, how likely are you to actually go and say, hey, i got to tell you something I'm doing. Like, Andy, I'm doing this. And I don't know you, but I need you to know. Like, we're not likely to do that. Like, and so we need people close enough that know us enough to, to they don't need us to say something. I feel like that was a weird sentence, but you get what I'm saying. So we have, to, we, we have to belong. We've got to do that work. How, how, will, how will we give each other that, that right, that freedom to speak? You know, when we talk about knowing and being known, that, that the work of knowing and being known first, first spiritually, eternally, that by God's love, He made it possible that we could know Him and that He could know us, that we could know Him and be known by Him. That's a miracle. Like the fact that we could know God and not be in terror. Like he's a holy God. 
There's no reason that, that us being before him shouldn't rack us with terror, but because of his grace and his work in Christ, he's made it that we can know him and be known by him. And, and us being known by him should be terrifying because we know our hidden places. He knows them better than we do. Shouldn't that be terrifying if a holy God knows all that you do, but yet to be known by God is a great comfort because it means, again, the righteousness of Christ has been given to you and me as we've made that confession. And so when we think about that and then we think about us as people, we talk about this a, a lot. Knowing and being known is taking the risk and opening yourself up to be known by others and taking the initiative to step and know, step into life and know others. That's the incarnational posture that Jesus stepped into our life so that we could know him. He came into our mess. He didn't wait till we changed. He didn't wait till we made some kind of gesture. He came in to the wreck to make us better. He came into the, to the wreck, to our mess, to restore, redeem, transform. He didn't say change, then I'll come. Change, then when you're good enough, you can come to me. He said, I will change you. And so again, you think about this posture as the people of God, as the family of God. We've got to do the work to belong and to help others belong. We've got to give permission for people to speak into our lives. Ask for it. Say, hey, if you see me going off the rails, man, come and yank me by the ear, please. And then be grateful if you can. If not, be grateful later. Um, but, and then just ask for help. Like, do ask for help. That is not just for you, by the way. That is, if you want to see us be a healthy people, you asking others for help will actually help them. Just think, the, you're, you're giving that person, I'm actually giving away a little bit, but you're giving that person an opportunity to have the posture of Jesus. You're giving them an opportunity to extend grace and truth. It's good for them. So it's not just selfish, it's not just for you, but it is for you. So be motivated toward that. So last week we talked about it, we're going to hit it one more time. James is calling us beyond the idea that, the, so maybe I'm repeating myself, I'm getting, I kind of looped in my notes a little bit. Um, so yeah, so just to review, right, it's not just on the paid staff, it's on all of us. For, you know, Peter describes us as the priesthood of believers. Um, it's on all of us. The beauty of belonging is, is a must and we must strive for it. So do the work to belong. Do the work to help others belong. Be proactive. Have eyes up, hearts open. Be interruptible. Spaces like this, again, this is not just, this Sunday morning is not the extent of the expression of us as a church, but man, it is a place in our culture where we have people from all over come apart. I mean, I met six people today that have never been to our church before, and that's just the six that I met. You know, like that's, that's really fun. And so, like, when, when, when you come, be excited to see each other, but also, hearts open, eyes up. Let's, let's be a people that belong and help others belong. And it, again, that posture goes beyond Sunday morning. And this doesn't work if only a few people participate. And I'll tell you, our church, our church is built on this reality. And our church will eventually shrivel up and die if only a few people do this because we don't have a lot of systems and program to assimilate people. We don't have some, some big kind of pathway that people can jump in any time. Like we've got people. That's what we have. And so if only a few people participate in this way of life of going and being proactive to others who are outside needing to get inside, their schedule, their life fills up really quickly. And it just will not work. And as sincere and as, and as intentional as they are, there are so, only so many hours in the day. And so it takes everybody. It's not a personality thing. It's not a, it's not a gifting 
It's an, it's part of your identity as part of the part, part of the people of God, part of the accomplished work of Christ in you. And so it takes everybody. And I'll tell you, like, our church is not, I mean, again, if you're visiting, if you're checking it out, man, you are welcome. And, and, but it, as far as long term, if you're here for a long time and you come in on Sunday and walk out and that's it, you've missed the message and you've missed the gift of what God wants for you and for us. And so, again, it's a risk. I know it's hard. It takes work. It's just a stretch for a lot of people. But I just want to invite you into something deeper, into something real. Because, again, none of us just want to do church to do church. We want to be a people called together for the glory of God as this local body, as long as God has each one of us here. And then we celebrate sending people out as he takes them out. That's what we want. And that's what you're invited into. So do the work to belong and help others belong. So our passage goes on to say this in James 5.20. It says, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So this is an interesting passage. Maybe it kind of hits some antennas in you or something like that. But if, you're, if we're talking about people in the church, he's talking to, he says, brothers, family, brothers and sisters, are we saying that you can lose your salvation? Is that what James is saying here? Short answer is no. Right, Because we look at Scripture as a whole. So this, these two verses are a part of the whole book of James. James is a part of the whole canon of Scripture that we know is Old and New Testament. So we know that all of Scripture is in agreement. And if we ever look at one verse and we have to say, well, gosh, that doesn't seem to fit into my framework, well, then let's do the work to see how it does. Because Scripture over and over again emphasizes that the work of God accomplished in Christ that is sealed by the Holy Spirit is fully complete and, perm- and permanent. So I could list out a myriad of verses. I'm just going to lay out just a few here just to give us some confidence in this so you know that I'm not just saying this. But I'm just going to read a, a few verses real quickly. If you don't get them, I can give you uh, these later. But John 10, 27 through 29 says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Man, that's comforting. John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Romans eleven twenty nine. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. 2 Corinthians 1, And who has also put his seal on us and given us his Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He's given himself to us as the Holy Spirit. That's our guarantee. <clears throat> Excuse me, Romans 8, 38-39, last one for now. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So those who are in Christ can never be separated. Okay. So what is this saying? James is definitively speaking of the spiritual and eternal matter, so we can't just explain it away that he's kind of using different language. He is definitively speaking about spiritual and eternal matter. He's talking about someone's spiritual state. And so what we see here is we do have to address two categories, and, we, and what we see as the people of the church, right, the people of the family of God, the people that are gathered together, we can assume in what we've seen over history, what we've seen in Scripture, what we've seen over time, is that there are always those who truly have surrendered life to Christ and always those who are part 
that have not. It's just present. It just happens. We see it in Scripture and we've seen it carry forward. It's always the case. There are people that have some characteristics of a Christian, a Christ follower, but yet have not truly surrendered and believed and committed their life. And then there are those that have that have just uh, wondered. So we see two two possibilities here. So first, for the, the true believer, the one who has actually placed their faith in Christ and been redeemed, that is wondering, we're talking about the reality that they live in. And this came up a couple weeks ago, but, but first uh, you need to see that in the wondering, when they are again in that posture of walking away from God and now denying the truths of God and now embracing truths of, of the world or just uh, kind of a human-centric view or however they're now defining what is true and what is right, we're seeing that at the same time what they're also losing is their assurance, they're losing their assurance of, of, of their security in Christ, of their salvation. They're losing that. And that's more, it's very much of a, a personal experience of that. And we talked about a couple weeks ago of, of it is God's grace that removes our comfort when we are in sin. That happens before salvation, before we confess and believe, and it also happens for those who are in Christ. It is grace that brings us to a place that we come to the end of ourselves and we're brought to our knees and we see that we cannot overcome. We see that we are rebelling against a holy God. We see that we are denying the love that he showed in Jesus. And he takes away our comfort. He takes away our assurance. And that is a kind thing because that is the very thing that brings us back, that gives us the, the, the gumption to, or the desperation to actually surrender and return. So we see that, again, this person who is in Christ, who is wondering, whose assurance is being eroded, to them, their salvation is in question because now they don't know if they can trust a holy God. They don't know if he has authority over their life. They don't know if he actually did what he said he did. And I submit that in our flesh, we can get there even as a redeemed person. Now, I will also say I don't think we can stay there. Um, I think that it is the work of the grace, the work of God's grace and His Holy Spirit that will bring us back eventually. And as we talked about, uh, and as we look at this, the wandering Christian, their reality is that they feel like they're no longer saved. And I've had these conversations with people that have, have been alongside for a long time. And it's, it's gut-wrenching, and it's, it's hard to walk alongside. And it, and, it, and it only gets harder the farther they wonder, but it's also really glorious when all of a sudden the gospel of grace breaks through. I mean, it's that person, possibly that person that you've heard that said, I've been in church all my life, and I, it was always something else, but now I get the gospel. I mean, we, we see that, so there's something we can, uh, I just alluded to my next point, actually. There's also another key reality. There are also those that are a part of the life of the church that are dutifully committed and engaged intellectually but have never come to know and understand the work of grace in Christ. And so again, what I was just saying, these are the testimonies you hear of the people that have always been in church. And then all of a sudden, one day, the bell is taken off of their eyes. All of a sudden, they get what it is that we are all sinners. We've sinned against a holy God. And there he is just, and so there will always be justice to that wrong. But in his love, his justice is for our good because Jesus took on our sin he, and he gave us his righteousness. So it's when that breaks through that this person all their life has been alongside, all of a sudden they're free, they're, they are redeemed, they, do, they are truly a part as Jesus has made them members of the family of God. So because we are not the Holy Spirit, we cannot easily know if, 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 
you know, which is the case? Is this a person who is sincerely following Christ that's just having a crisis of, of faith or they're kind of wondering, or is this a person that's never actually truly surrendered? We don't know. We're not the Holy Spirit. Yeah, like, I mean, we can look at the fruit of life and we can look at the evidence, but it's still, we don't know. So because of that, we must pursue those that wonder with urgency no matter what. Because either way, it is God's, it is God's work for, for them to know peace and wholeness. And so Hebrews 6 also pushes us to uh, urgency. It tells us that the one who has tasted and seen the goodness of God in Jesus Christ but ultimately walks away, they are in the most danger of never finding freedom in Christ. The one who is exposed but never surrenders. Hebrews 6, 4-6 through says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of, the God, uh, of, the God, of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God, their own, uh, the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. So with great urgency, we've got to pursue those who are wondering out of love. And when we pursue, we pursue with a posture of gentleness. We pursue with a posture, a posture of love and kindness. And again, is a benevolent desire that calls us alongside. We don't ever want to beat anyone into submission. It is not our are convincing that's going to do any work in anybody. It's God wooing them back through us presenting love and truth. So if this is you, if you've been apart but never surrendered, come to Jesus today. Surrender today. Don't observe. It's not about duty. It's not about just intellect. It is about new life in Christ. It's about being made whole. It's about forgiveness It's about redemption, and it's accomplished in Christ alone. So today can be your day of surrender and salvation. He loves you and accepts you just as you are. So our compelling in this is twofold. When someone wonders that as a regenerated Christ follower, they are living in a a bondage that stills their assurance and diminishes their capacity to show the glory of God in their lives. So out of care for them and urgency for the glory of God to be made known in this life, we pursue them. When someone has been alongside for a long time but never found freedom in Christ and wonder, and they wonder, they are possibly walking away forever. So out of selfless, selfless love, we run to them with the hope of salvation. So we close with this. One more time, verse 20 says, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Our participation in this work facilitates the very promise of the gospel, unto salvation and unto the fullness of life that it continues to facilitate for us. This work is core to the heart we have seen God express from the very beginning. He has never changed. He has always worked for the outcast. He's always worked for the rebel. We see it the very beginning with Adam and Eve. As soon as they sinned against him, yes, there was judgment, but immediately there was the trajectory of the work of redemption set in place. We see as it, all through the Old Testament as he worked for the widow and the orphan to bring them in and to restore them and to care for them. We see God restoring the wayward nation of Israel over and over again. We see God rescuing all of creation and the sending of Jesus to reconcile. So the very ministry that Jesus was sent to earth for has now been passed on to each of us. This is why 
we participate in this. This is what the ultimate work is, is the work of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us their message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what this work is. That's what we're being invited into. That's what we're facilitating. Jesus tells three parables in Luke 15, one of the lost sheep, one of the lost coin, and one of the lost son, the prodigal son. And in all of those, we see that the owner of that thing lost at great cost to themselves goes and commits all of their energy to the, to the refinding, to the reclaiming, to the restoring, to the reconciling of that lost thing. The, the one who loses one sheep when they have 100 leaves the 99 to go find the one. The one that has 10 silver coins and loses one turns their house upside down. The one who had the son who, who, who sinned against and said, I wish you, would, basically said, I wish you were dead so I can have all that's coming to me and takes that and leaves. And it was as was he was dead to them, returns with great love and feast and adoration, welcomes him back. This is the work to reclaim. And as we step in, we step in with, as the manner of the Messiah. At great cost to himself, he reclaimed you and me. This will cost you this way of life to step in on behalf of one another. Again, it's a risk. It might hurt. But this is the work of Christ. This is our identity. So at great cost to ourselves, we pursue, step in for one another. Step into the line of fire, whatever it may be. We do that work. God's design to care for his church is his church. We're invited to go and seek out the hurting, the lost, and the rebel just as he did. The reality is, is that it will always cost you something, like I said. But when you do, you find yourself administering the same grace that was given from the heart of God to you and me in Christ Jesus. So the work is people being saved, the people of God being cared for, the mission of God being furthered, and the glory of God being manifest in our world as we evidence that we belong to Jesus by our love for one another. He says they will know we are Christians by our love. So love one another. So we take communion every week. And as we do that, we come to the table to hopefully remember the work of Christ and also to learn a posture of life that goes beyond this room, goes beyond this rhythm of, of every seven days we do this, that carries forward to every, time we, to every time we gather at the table. As Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room just before he was arrested and crucified, as he broke bread, he took it and he broke it and held it in front of him. He says, hey, this, is, this represents my body that was broken for you. Every time you take it, do in remembrance of me. And then he picked up the cup and he says, this is my blood that was shed for you. Every time you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. And he was saying, remember the provision made for you in Christ. Remember the work accomplished in Christ. And let that be the, the bond of your fellowship. Let that be the heartbeat of your life. Let that be the trajectory of your purpose. And so when we, come to the, when we do this each week, I'm praying that this is something that just solidifies in our hearts as a, new, as a way of life, as a part of our identity. And so as the, as the band 
uh, plays today. I want you to pray, and, and as you reflect and think on the work of Christ, as you feel like you are ready, come and break off some bread, and then dip it in the cup, and then partake on your own, and then you can continue uh, to worship and pray. Today we're going to do it a little bit differently. I think it would be wonderful, kind of continuing from last week to this week, that if we have a time of just kind of corporate prayer, this is a little out there, but corporate prayer during this communion. So as you're praying and responding, I want to also invite some of you to also pray out loud. Again, no pressure, not expecting many of you or anything like that, but just for some of you to pray out loud and pray specifically kind of kind of this end-to-out prayer. Pray for us as the body of Christ, living in a way that exhibits that we are, are taking on the work of Christ amongst one another, and then going out from there, that we would then work in the same posture of Jesus being sent to a people in need from here to the ends of the earth. So I'm not going to try to hem it in much more than that. You pray as the Lord leads. And um, a few of us will be in the back if you just need some specific prayer as well. So as, uh, after I pray, as they play, you come, and I want to invite any of you to pray out loud for uh, us as a church and for our work of gospel mission in this world. Let me pray. God, you are so good, and we thank you, Lord, that um, you reclaimed us first and foremost in Christ. Lord, that we rebelled, we sinned against you, and in that we are broken. Lord, every relationship was broken in that moment, Lord, that our relationship with you was broken, our relationship with one another was broken, and our relationship with creation was broken. But in Christ, in Jesus Christ, all was reconciled. Lord, we are, we are brought back to the fold, adopted as your sons and daughters. Lord, that we are now not at enmity with one another, but now we have a bond given by the Holy Spirit, a common, a common identity. And Lord, in this world, we are no longer working against creation, but for it. Because we come to the table now, let us remember the work accomplished in Christ with great celebration and humble hearts. Let us partake and remember and that this would result in a way of life. Lord, give us hearts as servants. Give us hearts that are bold, lives that are bold for you. Lord, let us, let us feel the responsibility for one another. Let us see that your strategy for the church is the church and your strategy for bringing the gospel of Jesus to the world is through us. So Lord, we love you. We are humbled by your work. We're humbled by your call. And we're thankful for Jesus in his name. Amen.